You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Rising rates on the 10-year and the 30-year, Chair Powell on the Hill, volatility in tech stocks, the reopening and rotation trade. Tom Thornton is here to talk it over. Welcome, Tom. Ash, how are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Always an eventful day when you were here. I believe last uh, time it was like the chaos of after hours. Last time trade. was the, okay, so the GameStop thing was going full, full bore, and it was after the market closed. And then I'm watching on one screen over here, GameStop after hours just went crazy after going crazy during the day. And then you said, you're not going to believe this. And then it was Elon with his tweet and right. it just was chaos. But uh, wow. Yeah, it's been quite a month. Yes, it has. And it always seems to be action packed when you're here. I should say we're filming now around 3.45 p.m. Eastern time. So just off the close. Uh, Tom, take us through, in your view, the big picture for what's happening right now. There are two trades happening right now um, in the equity market. And the first is the reopening stocks. And you have airlines and hotels, which I think are going to probably move a little higher. They have pricing power going forward, not forever, but going forward, the prices on flights and hotels are just astronomical if you haven't checked. Mm -hmm. Then you have retail restaurants. Um, I, I think you're going to see those do well, but they don't have the pricing power and they're getting priced in uh, right now. I think the best case scenario on top of it, the two sectors I've liked the most over the last six months has been energy and financials. And I do expect those to carry forward and to continue higher with the reopening. I think those are the most pure play reopening type uh, sectors you want to be in because they just cover everything. Yeah, you've been you've been bullish uh, on those sectors since uh, October uh, or so. Let's take a look. If you're looking for some unalloyed good news, let's take a look at the U.S. currently hospitalized with COVID-19 charts. You know, the striking thing about this chart when I look at it uh, is that the third wave there on the right uh, has fallen below the 60,000 level for currently hospitalized with COVID. And intriguingly, uh, that was the level where we peaked on waves one and two. So this is good news, Tom, to exactly your point, reopening and uh, the idea that people are gonna start moving again, traveling again, a good thing. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited because I just found out in Connecticut, I can register to get a shot on March 1st. So March 1st at 12.01, I will be online, uh, laptop in bed, uh, getting my, uh, my spot. So I'm very excited about that. I, I think it's gonna be a really good summer. I think people are going to be upbeat, excited, uh, certainly very grateful for what we've gone through and to move forward. Uh, what I was saying just a second ago, though, 
is there's another side of the trade, and that's with interest rates. And interest rates have been going up. Better news, better economic news. We have rates moving higher. It's always a, a, a particular situation when you have rates moving higher. If it's going to be unruly, where rates move too fast and the rate of change, uh, the bond managers can't handle that uh, quick enough. And then the other thing is higher rates will put a crimp into the higher leveraged, higher growth equity stocks that now after a few turns of multiples higher this last year, because they could based on lower rates, I think it's going to be a situation where those stocks are going to start to feel some pressure. And we've seen it already. This last week has been really tough on the NASDAQ. Right. You know, to exactly that point, Tom, for people who don't follow the credit markets as closely as you do, let's put up two charts. First, uh, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, uh, which hit a low in August of 2020, about 50 basis points. I think 51 was the low, currently at 1.36%, a significant rise. 30-year U.S. Treasuries, also August of 2020, uh, below 1.2, currently trading at 2.2 on a yield basis. 100 basis points uh, since August, a lot of movement. Yeah, you have to realize that that's, those are losses that bond managers are taking. And, you know, this is bond market hasn't been a place where you're saying, oh, boy, I'm going to just get 75 basis points for 10 years or, you know, 1.36% 1, 1. over 10 years. The bond market has been a situation where people have wanted a capital appreciation rather than a yield. And we've been so used to yields going lower and lower and lower. And, you know, there was so much talk of negative interest rates, uh, just keeping that capital uh, appreciation trade going. But here we are, we're backing up in yields right now. And I, I think the Fed is starting to notice, uh, again, Jay Powell didn't say anything different. Uh, I thought maybe he might signal something or just in a very subtle way in a question, you know, one of the questions he was asked, but uh, he stayed on script and they're going to just keep their foot on the gas until inflation gets out of control. And that could be a real problem for the equity market because it's really hard to reverse inflation. And we really haven't seen inflation. A lot of people that have been in the markets a long time have rarely seen strong inflation and certainly not with the type of stimulus that we have from the Fed and the monetary stimulus that's coming down the pike. Yeah, it's an entire generation who have never witnessed inflation before. And just to repeat uh, for people who aren't as uh, familiar with the credit markets as you are, yields back up or rise, prices decline, the capital accumulation, the capital accretion that's been happening in there is reversing now. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's a capital appreciation story in the bond market and people have gone to the equity market for yield because you can get a great yield in the S&P and there's so many stocks in the S&P that have high yield or higher yield than the than the 10 year obviously or the you know 30 year so it's been actually um, you get growth and you get capital appreciation um, right. in the equity market and that's why equities in the US have been so strong yeah, the joke being uh, that uh, you know stocks for yield and bonds for capital appreciation, the world's a little bit upside down. Yeah, it's going to be that way for a while. And I, I, my view is that the yields could go higher 
in the intermediate term, I've targeted 1.56 on the 10-year yield. And I will say, though, there is a possibility in the next week that the bond market could rally a bit because you have end-of-the-month pension rebalance. And we've seen such a wide spread between bond performance, which has been awful, and uh, equity performance, which has been pretty good despite this week's big pullback. And, you know, it's 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 something to keep an eye on. We could see a short-term uh, move lower in the 10-year yield or and the 30-year. But it, it may be, uh, you know, right towards the end of the month, the last day. Yeah. And just to contextualize that, NASDAQ up 44% in 2020 uh, and up 4.5% on the year so far. Uh, here we are on February 23rd, up 4.5% already. And to put the bigger picture on that, average return on the NASDAQ about 10% per year, depending on the look back period. But if you're looking for a long-term average, pretty close to 10%. It's really interesting also that you have all these mega cap stocks that haven't performed that well uh, year to date. And, you know, you can look at some of them that, you know, backed off, Apple backed off a bunch. They, I think they're going to close green on the day. And today is just an incredible day. We were down three and a half percent on the NDX. And I think I'm just looking, I think we could uh, squeak out a win here. And that is a big deal. That's a huge rebound. But I, I'm also thinking right now that we should have a correction. I don't see the typical indicators and sentiment readings as being set at a low risk entry opportunity right now. It's going to take some time. And what's been happening in the NASDAQ especially is that we see these gap downs and then we see this this struggle higher uh, from the morning lows. And it's just been a pattern that I've been watching for the last week. And I think we'll see uh, a lower high and I, I wrote it down on the S&P, like 39, for the S&P as well, 39.30 is the targeted lower high that I think uh, we're going to be under and then lower perhaps into the beginning of March. And, you know, it's hard because you've got a backdrop of really good news with the reopening. People are getting vaccines. Uh, the data, I spoke to someone in, in London today. It, it, there, he's complaining that Boris Johnson isn't opening uh, London fast enough and, and all of England. Uh, so it, it's. I think there's a lot of pressure on politicians to get things open. So that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. You, know, you get higher yields and that's, you know, going to offset. So that's, that's a bit different uh, of what we've uh, been seeing. It's not going to be like 2020. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I think it's really interesting also to talk about the distinction between the speed uh, and the actual overall level of bond rates, uh, because this is such an important point when you think about interest rates, is the, the way that these have moved so quickly. These are really big jumps from a very low base. Well, I, I've been in the market, I've been personally trading in the market since 1987. Uh, I'm giving my age up here. Uh, but the, the point is that uh, 
we haven't really seen a bond market crash. Uh, 1994, there was a bit of that. Uh, we've seen the yields back up, uh, but just very manageable. So if we did see some sort of backup in rates that the rate of change became unruly, I, I think that, that that's going to be very, very spooky in the market. And you just have so much debt out there, right. especially since the, the you know, the the 2008 2009 period there's just more debt on top of debt and that to me is a real problem if all of those bonds suddenly become you know the capital's negative in in those so the if your if your basis is you know if you start to see losses in your bond portfolio people are going to sell them and it's just going to be it's going to be tough we just hit 4 p.m. on the East Coast. U.S. equity markets have closed. The Dow came back 360-some-odd points, uh, effectively to close flat up 0.04% on the day uh, to 31.535. NASDAQ uh, almost flat, closes at 13.465 minus 0.5% on the day. Tom, we were talking a little bit off camera uh, about the uh, rotation trade. For You've been doing this for a very long time. You've been uh, in these markets for decades. For people who don't follow them as closely as you do, who don't understand the exact significance of what this rotation trade is about, could you give us the context for that? Well, here's a little, let's go back 10 years and five stocks in the NASDAQ and the S&P have done all the heavy lifting and they've done more than 60% of all the attribution uh, in those particular indexes. And they've become so mega in their capitalization. I mean, trillions of dollars uh, are just concentrated in these great companies. But here's the thing. They're not cheap. And historically, Apple trading, I think it's 35 times earnings. Uh, that's very expensive for an Apple. Uh, Microsoft's up there as well. I, I think that having low interest rates has enabled these big tech companies to trade at a higher multiple uh, because they, they were basically just uh, excellent growth stories. They've had you know great cash flow. Uh, I, I mean, really, they've done exceptionally well. But here's the thing. Every once in a while, there is a new game in town. And I can tell you that I remember back in the, you know, 90s and, you know, even in the 2000s, the energy markets became the one sector you wanted to be in. Right. And I really feel like energy is super cheap. And here, here's another stat. Goldman Sachs and their hedge fund monitor yesterday they said that the energy sector is the one sector that has a normal uh, short interest level they're at the 65 percentile of their historical short interest uh, reading there's eight sectors under at or below the third percentile lower percentile as far as how much short interest and tech has is at the zero percentile so mm. You, you have very few people that are short tech, and I'm not necessarily saying go out and short tech, but you might see those stocks that have led the, this market for so long go sideways. 
And if they go sideways, so be it. They, they, they can contract and they can, you know, go sideways and there'll be good trading opportunities. But if energy starts to come on and they're the cheapest sector by valuation, and they, in my opinion, have the most to gain from the Biden administration. I know people might say, oh, wait, he's against the energy sector, but that's exactly what we want. We want someone that's going to put more regulation. It's going to cut the drilling licenses around the country and make it harder for drilling to happen. Now, you make it harder for drilling to happen. Uh, the supply goes down. Reopening of the economy with you know, airplanes, uh, more electricity, uh, travel. I mean, just everything. Energy prices will go up with that with that demand. So you have a, a lower supply, higher demand. It, it actually is like interest rates as well because it's a higher inflation thing and higher the crude prices or all energy prices. It hits the consumer harder, uh, almost like a tax. So I think, though, that the energy sector still has a lot of, of leeway to go. Um, and the other thing is seasonality. It's really, really strong from the beginning of February to the end of May. And I think it could stretch out even further as we get more reopening. So I think that there's a real possibility for a rotation to what's hot. And, you know, it's the Wall Street bets people are are perfect. They, they rotated from, you know, Tesla to GameStop to Bitcoin to Ethereum. They, they, they rotate and look for what's working. And they're going to discover what Exxon does and say, oh, I get a yield for that if they keep it for more than, you know, two days. <laughs> but uh, the bottom line is these are great investments, and I think that they'll uh, continue. Yeah, and of course, your friend Tony Greer also bullish on those same energy stocks. You know, the other point that you made uh, as people start to contextualize uh, this rotation play uh, is the idea of, like you were saying, like a tax. And in some ways, uh, you know, you could say that rising interest rates, uh, when you're discounting future cash flows on these growth stocks, the higher rates rise, uh, the lower the, um, you know, the lower the appeal of those earnings gets over time. Rates very low, growth stocks very favorable. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think it's going to be a, a, a year that's going to be complex. It's not going to be a year where the growth stories uh, really shine and, and show that of what they have. I think that uh, Microsoft, Apple, uh, some, some of these other large ones, I mean, Amazon, obviously, with all the home delivery, has they've done great uh, with people at home or working from home. But it's now going to be like, okay, you got to really show us what you got. And, you know, a lot of those companies have withheld guidance because they just don't want to give guidance or they just don't have a real good read on guidance. And so right. they're going to have to give guidance. And the other thing is, I think there's going to be a real bounce with all of these recovery stocks, uh, energies, financial, uh, all of them hotels, restaurants, airlines, and we've already seen it. Some of them are already priced in, I think. But that's going to end as well. So I think the second half of the year, it's going to be back to normal. And then what? Then what do we do? Is the market going to is it going to keep going up? People are going to look for value. They're going to look for what's going to work. And 
we'll see what happens with the Fed if they normalize or if they just, you know, back off a little. So I think this year is going to be a, a front-loaded year, and then the second half is going to be a little bit more complex. Yeah, Jay Powell's testimony today up on the Hill uh, suggests that their concern uh, is still inadequate inflation. Uh, and that's based on the data that they're seeing. Obviously, that could change uh, as the reopening continues as companies have pricing power. What's your thought uh, on the context there and how that decision is going to be made? Well, there's never been um, the Federal Reserve chairman that's seen inflation. I think going back to Volcker, maybe. Uh, I mean, I, everything I look at has gone up in, in price from energy costs to food costs. I mean, food costs are off the charts. And college, if anybody has kids in college like I do, uh, it's out of control. And I, I, I really worry about what's coming down the road, what's going to happen with that. House prices have gone through the roof, to say the least. I mean, you got to use that that one. Uh, commodities like lumber made it just a big spike, and all of these, you know, the demand for uh, copper. It's 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 it, there's inflation there, and they measure it in this way where it stays very very low. I mean, look, they've had QE since 2009, and they haven't been able to get inflation over two percent. But I can tell you, prices have gone up. And everybody else listening here is saying, yeah, he's right. Everything's gone up. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that it's going to have to be a real big spike in inflation for them to get concerned or do something. And, and you know, one last thing about Powell. I really think that, that Powell should, in the next couple months, signal that they're going to moderate and then start moderating. And they can have it with the cover of the the fiscal stimulus that's coming. So the Fed can just say, okay, fine, you know, we're gonna just instead of 120 billion dollars of crap we're gonna buy, we're gonna take it down to a hundred and then eighty uh, and and see how that goes and test it that way. They do have to slow this down because it's just gonna get worse if they don't, because there'll be another problem down the road. Yeah. You, of course, are a veteran of the taper tantrum. Uh, you remember uh, the last time the Fed tried to withdraw accommodation uh, and then ultimately, um, you know, were forced to concede uh, and to continue the purchasing at the same rate. What are your thoughts about that? And is there the possibility of a taper tantrum or would markets uh, potentially welcome some normalization, particularly on the balance sheet side? Well, the first couple moments of that taper everybody got nervous like oh my god what's gonna happen i think it'll be different this time i really do i think that people are looking at it like okay we've got a lot of money in the system a lot more than we had uh way back when with bernanke 2013 i think yeah i it, i think that uh there's a lot of wind in the sails of the economy right now and and in the market for the most part. And look, if we have up and down 10% a few times this year or, or even twenty down 20%, I think that would be healthy uh, for price discovery and for the markets. But it's always the first or second mention or even the beginning of it that causes the most pain. Mm. Because if you look back, I mean, Janet Yellen is the only Fed chairman 
I've seen, you know, you know, who was raising rates continuously. And under her, as rates were and tapering was happening, rates were going up and the equity markets went crazy on the upside. So right. there's, uh, you know, a, a bit to look at it and say higher rates, you know, maybe not the worst thing. Yeah. It didn't last long, though, did it? Well, no, because I think what happened is that with all and this is my one of my big concerns that I, I wake up at three in the morning and, you know, take a Xanax and say, oh, my God, I don't want to think about this. But <laughs> there's so much debt in the markets right now. And if yields go up and bond prices go down and this becomes a funding issue for a lot of companies, uh, I don't think that I don't think that it's going to go well, to say the least. I mean, I was going to use a really bad word there. Like I'm, I think we're, as Julian Brigden, I talk to every week, I have these wonderful calls with him and he's like, the Fed has no idea what's going to happen at, with yields higher. They have, they have no plan. They don't know what to do. And, I, you know, I just think that we need a Fed that can look at what's going on and be a little stronger and say, okay, market, you know, we're going to pull some back here, deal with it. The market will deal with it. And if the Fed says, hey, deal with it, you know, let's see what happens. I, I just think that he was, yeah, he was looking at, you know, some of the larger mega firms, clearing firms, maybe Citadel, BlackRock, I don't know, back when he got panicky and started the taper or not the taper, the repo market right. uh, craziness. And then, you know, the, the markets really fell apart and he just, he had no choice. He had to, to back off. But I, I think that it was just, right. it was just one thing that led to another. And, you know, it, it, he could have gone a little softer this time in, in, in the spring. I think they went a little too far. And I, I, I think they're going to have to admit that. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Tom, one of the things that interests me. Uh, is uh, Chair Powell coming into the role uh, in his testimony and his commentary and his initial statements when he uh, was leading the Fed. Uh, the impression uh, that we were left with uh, was that he was going to begin to withdraw some of the accommodation, some of the extraordinary accommodation. And then, as you said, uh, had no choice. I wonder what it is that Jay Powell knows or sees or thinks he sees that leads him to believe that he does, in fact, have no choice. It's, it's it's obvious. Um, there is so much leverage and debt in the system that something will break, and there's that's what that's how markets get. There's price discovery. Something's going to break, and if yields continue to go up, I think it's going to put more pressure on a lot of companies. A lot of I mean, a lot of small cap companies are zombie companies. They just pay the the yield on their their debt and roll it over uh and that will be a much more expensive uh proposition for them they're going to have a tough time and 
I just, I, I, I really wish we did have leadership that could say, okay, deal with it, deal with it. You will be able to deal with it and just say it like that. I mean, you had, you know, Volker was a, a person that had said it basically uh, how he saw it. I mean, he just would say exactly what was on his mind. But we've been lulled into this. The Fed's always going to be there to bail us out. And, you know, people are going to freak out. You know, the NASDAQ is down 5%. I mean, oh, my God. You know, what are they going to do? You know, say something. Don't be, be dovish. You know, God, it's, right. just, it's killing me. Yeah. You know, exactly that condition that you talked about. Hyman Minsky called them Ponzi borrowers, the idea that you could just basically borrow uh, to continue to finance your own debt, refinance your own debt, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and service it uh, based on new borrowing. And when the new borrowing stops, you get, uh, I guess the ugly term is the Minsky moment. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that happened with all these, you know, these, these, you know, these pullbacks that we had, there were very few bankruptcies, very few. And usually when you have some sort of cataclysmic type move and a, a pandemic and everything's you know going to hell you're going to have bankruptcies and the fed came in and said oh, we're just going to go out and buy high yield and investment grade and and we're going to keep buying and buying and buying and buying and and basically yeah. put off the inevitable for a lot of companies and i'm not i'm not thrilled about if you know hearing if a company goes bankrupt but capitalism has to work, and this hasn't been capitalism. This has been something else. And, you know, the longer we continue this, I think the harder it will be um, down the road when it, when the, you do hit that Minsky moment. Yeah, these are the the 13-3, so-called 13-3 facilities out of the New York Fed, uh, the liquidity facilities that uh, are an alphabet sloop, soup, uh, things like commercial paper, funding facility, primary dealer credit facility, uh, money market mutual fund liquidity liquidity facility. It's hard to pronounce them all in, in rapid yeah. succession. But the general idea is exactly the point that you made, uh, which are these are facilities that are meant uh, to provide liquidity for debt uh, and to provide the ability for companies to continue uh, to finance and refinance that to continue to roll over their credit. Yeah. But here's the thing. That sounds great. Like they're going to handle what is already there. Guess what that guess what happens? Companies could say, okay, great. They start issuing more debt on top of more debt. Right. And it just they don't like slow down. There's no it's like saying, okay, the Fed's got us. Let's issue, you know, a boatload more debt. I mean, the issuance this last this month in February is just absurd. I, I mean, it's I think it was like 160 billion uh of issuance in in investment grade and, and high yield. I mean, that's just absurd right now. They just keep, oh, let's just issue more. You know, it'll never end. The Fed's going to buy it all. Yeah. And the flip side of that, of course, is that very difficult during a pandemic to figure out how to support these companies. Much more challenging for Congress uh, with all of the political uh, challenges there uh, to do this on the fiscal side. So the Fed steps in. Again, this is this idea of having no choice. Uh, but the problem is, if you have no choice today and you do the same thing tomorrow, then you have no choice the day after. Yeah. And look, I, I'm I'm not against the Fed coming in during a pandemic when everything's, you know, going closing. I mean, we've never been in a, a world where everything closes. 
So I'm happy the Fed came in, but one of the problems that they did was they they came in and they said, we're going to do this much. The markets started to bottom, and then we're going to do more. And it was like, you didn't need to do that little extra. Let it sort of get into the system. You know, the the, the big problem that, that, that they were saying is, you know, the, the credit markets are broken. Credit markets weren't broken. They were priced. There was a price discovery there. You know, broken is another term for being down. And that, you know, again, it's capitalism. You have to let prices, uh, you know, you, you need price discovery in this world. And unfortunately, it's very difficult in a lot of assets. And again, people are just accustomed to the Fed's going to come in and save the day. And how big can they get? You know, the amount of debt is going to be very tough. And the long-term aspects of it, and I'm saying long-term, which could be in like two years, is going to be tough for, you know, when or actually, think of it, as I just said, you know, as the normalization. It's going to be tough when we have all this debt and these companies have all a lot more debt uh, for the payback. So that could be when things start to unwind and i'm not declaring you know the the world's going to end but i just think that a little less exuberance in the market sideways to slightly up more of a moderate gain there's going to be huge gains in certain places and i'm going to find them i'm do the best i can to find them but i also think that it's going to be a time of normalization and normalization is sometimes boring we hope well, I guess Chris Christofferson had it that freedom was another term for nothing left to lose. Tom Thornton, broken is just another word for down. <laughs> Tom, you're one of our favorite guests on Real Vision Daily Briefing, and I think this conversation shows why. Uh, to break it down for people, we've done a lot of the philosophy, a lot of the broader context. Let's get nuts and bolts here as we come to the end of this conversation and talk a little bit about what you're going to be looking for, what market signals you've got your eyes peeled for, uh, and specifically what your outlook is based on those indicators. Okay, there's a few things that I look at. And I, I on my site, uh, Hedge Fund Telemetry, uh, we, we post charts. That's the Daily Sentiment Index from Jake Bernstein, tradefeatures.com. Uh, but we have great great charts from, and bullish sentiment is around 65% right now. It got to 90%. NASDAQ got to 93%. To put it into context, in March, it was at 4%. And I, I, when I get something under 5% or above 95%, I'm going to take the other side of that every mm. single time, no matter what is happening. So <laughs> back in March, I got really, really bullish. I covered every single short except that stupid EV company that ran me over. But um, I'm short again, and it's, it's starting to work. So anyway, um, somebody just pinged me and said, Kathy Wood bought a lot of Tesla today, a headline or something. So, oh, great. Anyway. There's a, course, there's a Kathy Wood of ARC. Uh, yeah, Kathy, Kathy Wood. Kathy. Hmm. Anyway, um, I got sidetracked. The, the indicators I'm looking at, I want to see market sentiment at least at 50% at the midway point. If you get down to 20%, it's gonna the market's going to feel awful. I want to start looking at stuff to buy there. Uh, people uh, that don't have uh, access to our site, 
can also look uh, very simple stuff like the percentage of S&P stocks above the 10-day, 20-day, and 50-day. And I, I focus more on the 20-day when it gets under 20% or eh, close. That's getting over oversold. The 50-day at uh, 25%, you're gonna you can most likely see uh, some sort of a bounce unless there's something more devious going on in the market, like a pandemic, because that went to one percent right. above the 50-day. So those are the simple little things that I'm looking for. A few other, you know, indicators. I look at a hundred indicators. So I, but those are very simple ones to to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, Tom Thornton, a perfect way to close. Thanks again All for right. joining us. Thanks for joining us, everyone. All right, thanks, Ash. See ya. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.